Welcome to this episode of Turdy for Turdy. Make sure you let us know how we're doing. Um, you know, only if it's good stuff, though. I, I, you know, I need you to stroke my ego. I'm in uh, the you background. can either email us. <laughs> no one ever knows that I'm here. Sh- shut up. Um, either email us at tftpod2018 at gmail.com or you can hit us up on or and on Twitter at turdy for turdy. Um, man, our email is going to be weird next year, like in two weeks. Uh, yeah, I didn't think about that at the time of making it. But anyway, start the music. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Turdy for Turdy. Today we're going to finish up the uh, series we started last week about Jerry Jones. Uh, we talked a little bit about it off camera, or off off camera, off uh, off the <laughs> mic. But like I was telling you, that first part, I'm really impressed with Jerry Jones' career at this point in time, like in the very early 90s. Because he got like alcohol in Texas Stadium, he's already starting to make money for the team. Like he seems, he he makes some very smart decisions early on. When you were um, uh, when you were talking about that, I was doing the whole like, um, you know, Chris Farley from the um, thing. It what's the one with the van down by the river, the Matt Foley thing, when he's like flipping his glasses up and he's like, "Is that Will Shakespeare over there?" I was doing that because I was so like taken aback. I was like, "Who the hell is this man?" That you're talking about, because this ain't the Jerry Jones that I known to hate. Well, today we're gonna get into why you have those feelings for Jerry. Well, can we talk about something before we get to that? Sure. And why the hell Cam Newton showed up at my house playing with his nipples on my security I camera? I told you not to talk and, bad and about Tried him. to break in and steal my laptop. I told you. I warned you. Cam's coming. I mean. You know, I didn't expect it. I was like, you know, this guy, he's a professional football a professional. player. Who, you know, he, a, profe- a professional football player. And, uh, you know, he, he should, you know, have more important things to do than, you know, fly to my house from Carolina and, you know, try to steal my, you know, my electronics. But, you know, I well, can't He's judge, got nothing you know. else going on since he's out for the season. So it makes sense. Well, I mean, like, yeah, it was, uh, you know, he was he was running perfectly. You know, he ran perfectly away after after he a- attacked my household. He probably ran you over. He's a trucking back, trucking quarterback. Yeah, well, you know, when you're going to run like a fullback, you can't complain when you get hit. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into more Jerryisms. I hate Cam Newton. Well, some of us like Cam. Not me, but some some people. All right. So 1992 was the beginning of the Cowboys dynasty. Uh, one of the smartest free agent signings Jerry Jones has ever had was when he brought in troubled, uh, at the time troubled, pass rusher Charles Haley. The f- hey, I got an autograph of Charles Haley. I know. It's pretty cool. It is he almost cool. flamed out, which that might be something worth talking about another time. But he kept, like when he was in San Francisco, he kept being in a lot of trouble. Like you know, he's one of those players that you knew was good, but just can stay out of stay out of problematic situations. Like uh, like Reuben Foster. I'm not or, talking about Reuben um, Foster. Who, Kareem Hunt. Okay, Kareem Hunt. Yes. 
Or what about any of the other Redskins players, you know, because they like to hire women beaters, serial women beaters. The annoying part is Monte Nicholson just had that thing come up uh, to you. So that's. Wait, was that the guy who, like, tweeted that he, like, hated the Redskins and didn't want to no, be a that part was, of them? And then he came was, out and said he that got That was hacked. Mason Foster. <laughs> and he said that it, he didn't say that. It was his cousin that runs his Twitter account and was pretending to be But him. it was. But it was written very much like from anger of being on a team personally, not like a you know relative that was upset. Look, it's fine. Everything with the Redskins is fine. We're not talking about them. We're talking about the Cowboys. So the 49ers called the Cowboys College Scout and asked if they had any interest in Haley. The scout, Larry Lacewell, had not heard of Charles Haley at the time. <laughs> That's like a comic book name. I'm going to reread that sentence because this is ridiculous. The scout, Larry Lacewell, had not heard of Charles Haley at the time. Yeah, okay, I, I ignore that kind I know. of name, but yeah. What, um, the, what kind of yeah. scout doesn't know who Charles Haley was? Like, he was good with the 49ers. He, was a, he wasn't a bad player. He was, on a, he was a starter, Yes, yes, right? he was. Okay, and if you're a scout, you're usually dedicated to certain, uh, like you're an offensive scout or a defensive scout, right? So you should theoretically know all the, the yeah, people. Yeah, that this that made no sense to me, and I don't. And your life should be football. He's a whatever. terrible scout. You go to every that guy's game. a terrible scout. He, he sounds like it. And so he just wrote down the message, the, hey, do you guys want Charles Haley? He just wrote down, do we want Charles Haley on a note and put it over to the side. Three or four days later, he finally decided to tell Jerry about the phone call that he had. When he went into the <laughs> office and said, hey, Jerry, the 49ers called and wanted to know if you're interested in Charles Haley, Jerry nearly dro- dove over the desk. Because he was so like excited and angry that this dude kept that from him and that he dove over the desk coming at him. I really hope this guy got fired. Like that did day. not find out if he got fired. Didn't sound like it because he was still pretty cheery about it in the interview I read. I I just imagine like some guy nonchalantly walking in and and saying like something like that, and it's like um, uh, yeah, why are you um, why are you asking it this way? Like you, don't my know God, who this that's like is. if you need a wide receiver and the Texans call him like, hey, you got any interest in DeAndre Hopkins? And your scout's like, who's DeAndre Hopkins? I don't know who this guy is. And then comes and tells you like two days after he's been traded somewhere else, like, hey, the Texans called last week and said, do you want DeAndre Hopkins? I think that's the move that the um, that the Patriots pulled on the Browns when they were like, hey, do you want Josh Gordon? They're like, who's that guy? And then um, they got him like super We've never cheap. heard of him. So, I mean, all we could offer you is like a seventh round pick. I think it was a fifth round. <laughs> no, I don't think it was that was good. It a I seventh, think it was a, very, it was a seventh like, or a fifth. It was an odd numbered round. Yeah. Um. Oops, sorry. Haley would go on to be one of the most dominant pass rushers on the Cowboys and one of the most dominant pass rushers uh, that any Super Bowl team's seen. I mean, you could compare him up there to like Von Miller with the Broncos when they won. The team had the number one. Wait, Von Miller wasn't the reason they won. You know, that was because they had future Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, Von Miller could have played quarterback and linebacker in that game and had still done better than Peyton. You are probably correct. His, he was throwing lame ducks through that whole game. He could barely get it over like 10 yards. Both him and Cam Newton, like, that was Cam Newton's, like, best year ever, and they both forgot, like, 
what a football was, oh I think. Oh, my God. That was, oh, that was a bad game. So the team had the number one ranked defense, and uh, that led them to a thirteen to three, a thirteen and three record. They would end up going on to beat the 49ers in the NFC Championship, and play the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. They went on to win the Super Bowl fifty-two to seventeen, and they forced a record nine turnovers in the game. Damn! Talk about defense wins champions. That's like defense, like you know, ties you to a bed and sexually assaults you repeatedly. It's uh, nine turnovers. Nine. How that's do you even absurd, have time to get I, nine turnovers in a game? I, I mean, and that's the thing is like, were they interceptions? Were they fumbles? I imagine in this situation, it was like a mix. I of didn't everything. know that Nathan Peterman but, was playing for the Bills back then. Well, yeah, I was going to make that joke, too. It's like, well, maybe he just played for him. Maybe it was his grandfather, or maybe it was his, like, dad. And, like, he, he played for him and was like, hey, I, I want to give you, you the get ball. You get a pick six. You get a pick six. You get a pick six. Um. Yeah, no, nine is ridiculous. Like, you know, two is a reasonable number. Three is really good. Um, five's like, an amazing game. And nine is, is, like, someone typed in cheat codes. Exactly. It's crazy. The next season, the Cowboys would win their second Super Bowl over the Bills with a score of 30-13. to 13. At this point in time, things could not be going any better for the Cowboys, um, at least in those two seasons. So, at this point, you're probably wondering why you have such a negative opinion of Jerry Jones. Because like we said earlier, everything's positive to this point. Hell, he's like one of the best owners you've ever heard of at this point. He's like growing the team. I will agree that he's getting the right people brought in. He's got an awesome coach that he's BFFs with that work together to build the team. Like it's perfect. If I had no prior knowledge of this guy, I'd be like, "Damn! Like this guy is amazing! Like you know, he's amazing." So he was very successful up to this point, as you've heard. But the larger-than-life character got a little too big-headed. He had begun to be a frustration for Jimmy Johnson, who said that he would be willing to go to Jacksonville on the same day the Cowboys won the NFC East title. So the day they clinched up the division in an interview, somebody's like, Hey, are you excited about that new team coming to Jacksonville? You got any interest there? He's like, well, I'm from, you know, I coached in Florida for a lot of years. So yeah, I'd be interested in going to Jacksonville. It was like a very off the cuff remark, but of course it pissed Jerry off, which I think it would piss me off too if I was the owner. Yeah, I mean, especially after, like, you had been that successful. And also, if you were, like, supposedly, like, really good friends and former teammates and then probably known this guy, like... Yeah, their relationship had already started deteriorating at that point. I mean, this was, like, the first public knowledge that people had, but behind the scenes, uh, Jimmy was getting very frustrated with how Jerry, like, took credit for everything. Wait, but that seems very different than, you know, prior interviews that you were stating. Yeah, with yeah, him. this was this, it this was once the Super Bowl. Quickly. Once the Super Bowl, the first one one, Jerry started talking about how he did all of it and how he was great and that Super Bowl went to his head quick. That um okay, cuz I felt like you jumped around a little bit, but it makes sense cuz I know we can't sit there and, you know, you know, flip through the pages of Jerry Jones and Jimmy Johnson's um, you know, yeah. Up until that first Super Bowl, everything like that I argument. said was yeah. was the honest to God truth. Like they were friends, they were building the team, it was going good. 
But then when that first Super Bowl happened, Jerry started becoming a little bit more of a celebrity, like in the Dallas area and nationally. And that's when he started trying to turn himself into the face of the team. Um, so I, I have a serious question. So when did Jimmy Johnson switch over to NASCAR and win all those championships? Uh, that would be the early 2000s. He actually drank okay. the blood of young children, became a young man, and started driving NASCARs. But I still see him on TV sometimes. So to have like a Jekyll and Hyde effect. Yeah, yeah. Like it wears off. It wears off. And... Eventually, he's got to go oh, okay. out and find some other some other blood to drink, and you know, just it seems exhausting. That's probably yeah, why I think he's, he's not just going to stay you know, old on, from on this Fox point on. I don't think anymore. he's very interested yeah. in, in becoming a younger guy. So yeah, I think we'll be seeing older Jimmy most of the time. Not not new hot NASCAR driving young Jimmy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the other one was getting up in his age, too. So, you know, you can't have the... You got to retire at some point. So, on March 22nd, 1994, Jones met with two reporters in a hotel bar in Orlando Orlando at the owners' meetings. At the time, he thought he was off the record and told them that there was 500 coaches who could win a Super Bowl with the current team he had built. That... Oh, well, it's different than his council of, you know, of of elders that he had started. Yeah, so you can tell there was a little bit of a turn here. He started going down a different path than he had previously been going. I mean, why would you be upset if, you know, you were explicitly involved in all these decision makings and were the head coach of a team, and then all of a sudden some, you know, fail or mediocre businessman who happened to, to come upon a team and, you know really was just the the business part of it started taking credit for all your football wins i don't see why you'd be upset about that in that same conversation he also said basically off the cuff was like ah hell i could hire barry switzer to come here and coach and he could do as good of a job as jimmy i feel like then you can add uh i feel like we need to add some arrested development music in there (laughs) so needless to say that quote did not sit too well with jimmy johnson once it hit the newspapers Uh, The day before the draft, the Cowboys' front office was working on a deal with the Browns. Jones decided to head home for the day, and right after he left, Bill Belichick, who was the coach of the Browns at the time, called and said they would do the deal that they were working on. Johnson and the other leaders of the front office decided to go ahead and announce the deal to the public. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jones was furious that they did not call him to be there before they announced. And so if you can tell what's going on, they kind of just are volleying back and forth at each other at this point. It's into a real, like, petty war situation. I mean, right now they're they're measuring each other's dicks and... Basically, know, it's a pissing contest. One, one's, yeah, one's, you know, one's using... A, a ruler with, you know, messed up measurements, and the other one's using a real ruler. I'm saying Jerry Jones is cheating. Well, whatever. He's in charge. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like a, a, no other owner would really feel like they had to be present at that kind of thing. So I feel like it's not wrong for a head coach to do it, but I feel like you should yeah, definitely I mean, in Jimmy's defense, like, I know why he did it, and it was probably to piss off Jerry a little bit. But in his defense, if you guys had already agreed on the deal – and Jerry was like, yeah, I'm cool with that. And you're like, yeah, I'm cool with that. Go ahead and announce it. Because he was already on the, I mean, you already knew where he stood on it. 
Jerry, Jimmy, Jerry was just mad he wasn't there to get the credit for making it. He owns the team. He automatically gets credit for everything. Like, how big is this guy's freaking ego? And that's what I'm saying. After the Super Bowl, something flipped in him where he wanted to be the media darling of the Cowboys. Right now, his ego is bigger than Aikman's forehead. That's pretty big. Which is, yeah, that's saying a lot. So, on draft day, Jerry demanded to speak with Jimmy and told him that since there were cameras in the war room, he should always look directly at Jerry Jerry before making the pick that uh, that way he could clear it. So, basically, he's like, hey, Jimmy, ESPN's cameras are going to be in our war room today. Anytime we're about to make a draft pick, I want you to look at me, pretend like we're talking about it, and then ask me if we can make that pick. Like, make sure that I oh, look like I'm no. the one that's approving it. Oh, hell no, dude. This guy, oh my God. I went from, like, saying this guy was, like, he literally went from being a likable guy to, like, I want to punch him in the mm-hmm. face in, in, like, two sentences. Actually, it's been longer than that. But you know what I'm saying? It's literally like it was a, a, like a, an off season. It, that's what I was telling you before. Like, it's he changed, like, overnight. I mean, and he was always cocky. Obviously, no man that says I can buy a $5 million team but has no money, like, that's a cocky person already. But just, like, his his ration, his rationability, like, I don't know. His, he, he wasn't as rational at this point. Like, he got way too big. He started out big, but now we're in a whole different level. He got too big for his cowboy hat. So Jimmy went straight to his office instead of going to the draft room. Uh, When Dave Wonstadt, who was a coach at the time, uh, went into the office and told Jimmy that he needed to be in the war room, uh, Jimmy told him to let Jerry handle the draft because he knows everything. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, Johnson joined um, the other coaches and Jerry, but at that point, the relationship was fried. Like, that was the straw. Well, that was pretty close to the straw. We're about to get to the final straw that broke the camel's back. The final straw. The next day, Jimmy and some people that Jerry had worked with were sitting at a table um, at an event. And when Jerry walked by them, nobody invited him to sit down with them. So, like, Jimmy's sitting with some people that used to work for the Cowboys, and they're, like, cutting up and having a good time, and Jerry walks by, and they just kind of stare at him and don't invite him to come sit with him. Like, and that, I think that hurt Jerry's feelings. So, the fact that um, Jimmy and the other guys that worked for the Cowboys that were sitting there didn't invite Jerry to the table is actually what led to that 500 coaches comment earlier on. Oh, so you went around like in a different order. Yeah, yeah. So that that was the, I guess what I'm, the reason why I did that and I can tell you why is because that was the comment that led to this back and forth with Jimmy, but I don't think Jimmy ever understood where that comment came from and that's where that comment came from. So that's the thing that started this. I, you know, I know this is a little off topic, but I love how men, you know, like to pretend like, you know, we we have our... When we have arguments, we just, you know, hash it out. But, like, what you're saying is the most, like, passive-aggressive, you know, like, high school teen girl, like, argument thing. And this is happening between, like, two people who were both, you know, football players. And one was a coach and the other one was an owner. And, 
You know, they're acting like school and children. And don't clear Jimmy either. Like, that's... Jimmy ends up... So, in the media... Neither one of them neither one of them sound like they're handling no. it well. And I feel like all they had to do was sit down and Jimmy be like, Hey, dude, like, WT fuck. Jimmy gets all the credit for being the nice guy in this situation, but he didn't help matters either. Like, his little move of, like, I'm going to announce this trade without telling jerry and you could they they were both like sitting there just trying to poke each other Ooh. so um on the final day that jimmy was coach he was actually thinking about staying when he got in the office like he was like yeah i can handle another year of this i mean he's like we got too good of a thing going on you wait. You skipped ahead a little bit, right? Though, because we only talked about one Super Bowl, but he—they've been. No, we talked with about two. I, I, it was only a sense in there because it just wasn't that exciting. But that second Super Bowl, they won thirty to thirteen. I mentioned it a little while ago. Oh no! Oh, never mind. Okay. So this is said, after so two Super that. Bowls. Okay. Going into the season I, where they could have won three in a row. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was trying to remember. Like, because I know the the conversation was always like they could have won one more, and I couldn't remember if they won three or if they only won two, and we're supposed to theoretically could have won three. So yeah. And so when he got to the office that day, like I said, he was thinking about staying. Legitimately, like this is too good of a thing to break up. When he got to the office that day, he saw the newspaper headline for the Dallas newspaper, and it said Jerry to Jimmy, commit or quit. Whoa, whoa. He put whoa. that in the press. He's that that dude, that's not like a casual thing. That's that somebody calling somebody up that's probably their, you know, a friend or something and stirring the pot. So that was really the final straw. Um Yeah, no, I uh I think I would I would uh, be like no thanks or no thanks. Actually, I'd just be like no thanks. You can go, you know, back to Arkansas and Yeah. Go in the pit in the ground and be cooked like a hog. So this this was a long time coming. Like I said, after the first Super Bowl, their relationship started deteriorating, but it had never been this bad. But Johnson kind of found the perfect way out here because he went to the office to tell um, Jerry that he was done. Like, he's like, I'm, I'm done. I don't want this anymore. And Jerry said, all right, well, I'll give you $2 million to just break your contract and then we don't have to go into any type of litigation or any of that stuff to figure out. And Jimmy was like, you really don't have to do that. Like I'm, I'm good. I won't take any extra money. Like I'm good. I'm just going to leave. And Jerry was like, no, you've earned it. Like you got us two Super Bowls. So I'm going to pay you this 2 million. And that's how they ended up kind of the breakup there. That's actually like a really good deal. I mean, I feel like some of that was, was, you know, Jerry trying to cover his ass because he didn't want him coming back and saying like, "Oh, he just fired me and didn't pay me the rest of my contract," or like Jimmy didn't know how much his contract actually paid out and it was supposed to pay out more than two million. Yeah, I don't, I don't. It know could go either way. Went, but I assume part of it was Jerry just being like, "Okay, if I give this guy two million dollars, then he'll probably go away quietly and won't talk to the press all that much." It make me sound. Oh like an ass. yeah, no, he leaves happy even though he's not happy because he probably lost. It sounds like he, they both. He sounds like he lost a friend, but they were both assholes. So he ended up leaving with $2 million, and he got away from the guy, that his former friend that was driving him crazy at this point. Um, well, good for him. So, much like the Landry thing, this kind of pissed fans off. I mean, go figure. Well, um, 
I, if I was a fan, it would piss me off a lot um, because there was, at that point, there's not a reason for a coach to leave because there's not, like, it's one of those situations where, like, you want, you just want a Super Bowl. Um, so there's no way you would leave if another team offered you a bunch of money. The team you were on would probably counter it and want you to stay. Yeah, no, it may, I mean, especially if you went back to back. It doesn't back. happen like that very often. <laughs> Yeah. So shortly after the firing, Jones started receiving death for threats from Dallas fans. He was getting like calls. People were showing up around his house, yelling at him, cussing him out, all pissed off. Damn, I wish I could. I wish I could have watched. Literally, that. no one was taking Jerry Jones' side in this uh, in this breakup. Everybody thought it was poor poor Jimmy that was being abused by Jerry, and he's you know he got run out by by him. <laughs> that's pretty funny. I mean, actually. that's what I was saying. Like, it's amazing how it's one of those things where it, it's mostly on Jerry, but Jimmy was being an ass at moments too. So it's hard to like completely feel sorry for him. I think it's more on, on Jerry, but yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, um, it was definitely both. Cause if they didn't both have huge egos, you know, Jimmy had ego as big as his hair and Jerry had ego as big as Aikman's forehead. So, you know, no one could, come to terms with anything so within days of jimmy being fired jerry wasted no time in bringing in barry switzer as the new head coach and on a side note i actually really want to do a barry switzer based episode one day because his career at oklahoma was insane and no one ever talks about it but it was nuts as a coach or as a as a, a coach that had a very hands-off approach in um dealing with his students like, when you say hands-off, I'm imagining, like, he just let them do whatever the hell they yeah, wanted. Yeah, pretty much. Kind of like, you know, the, no one ever talks about the fact that, um, what's his name, when he was at Texas, like, all his players got in trouble when, like, one dude, like, had a whole trunk full of weed Matt one Brown? time. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like that. People seem people seem to forget about that stuff, and um, he's going to a program now that had a whole bunch of disciplinary problems for a long time, and had um you know actual probation not that long ago and now he's going there when they're going to be you know having shine stills and junk over in North Carolina here it'll be fine so um at the announcement for Barry Jerry Barry Jerry Barry Jerry ha <laughs> uh, Jerry Jones said remember in 1989 when I bought this team the same kind of things were said talking about firing Tom Landry the system is still in place and Barry Switzer, believe me, he knows a football player when he sees one. So he he went into this thing and and immediately shit all over a guy who had just won a Super Bowl and who was one of his former friends, as opposed to like a legend who had you know surpassed his career at that point. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. In 1994. Um, the Cowboys saw the addition of one of my favorite Cowboys of all time. I always like this guy, even though I don't like the Cowboys, but Larry Allen, the gigantic offensive lineman that was like always, he just always looked so immobile. Um, I know the name, but I can't picture him. He's a big man. I always, I always think of, um, too tall. Now, I don't remember if he was on the no, team at no, that he point. No, no, he was long gone. Uh, so Barry Switzer led the Cowboys to a 12-4 and record, 
and really didn't have much trouble during the regular season. The team ended up playing the 49ers in the NFC Championship, and they lost 38-28. to It was not the Super Bowl season people expected, but nevertheless, it was still successful with Barry at the helm. I mean, there is some legitimate claim to that that, like, literally anybody could have coached that yeah, but team, though, if they were that good and they were able to retain people. Jimmy was the X factor, though. I agree, like. A normal person, a normal coach could go in and probably still finish like 10 and 6, 11 and 5, 12 and 4. But I think you needed Jimmy Johnson to take them over to that next step of actually winning something. Well, yeah, they lost by 10 points, which is a totally theoretically coachable loss. Like you could make, if, if you had someone who was maybe a little bit better at some stuff, they could have and, managed I mean, Jimmy that better. And I don't the remember anything so well, about the game. So. Yeah. Um, so that offseason, Jerry Jones negotiated a contract that seemed absurd even for him. And this brings in Deion Sanders, who joined the Cowboys on a seven-year, $35 million contract. Um, that is absurd. Um, for, the 95, Yes, that's, that's, that's like, I don't know, that's not ridiculous for now, but that's absurd for 94. Yeah, no, that's crazy. That's compared to the Odell Beckham signing, theoretically. I mean, for inflation and junk, I think. Yep, so that was yeah, that was a ridiculous contract. And even in interviews, Jerry Jones is still like, Yeah, I don't I mean, I don't mind paying that, but I paid I paid a lot of money. <laughs> so off the field that year, Jerry was staging another fight with the NFL. Oh, to boy. fully understand what happened? Um, let's go back to 1982 real quick. That's our time travel machine. So, I feel like if you're going back to 1982, we just should play some like Huey Lewis in the news. It's the power of love. Bow. Um. So that was the year the owners started um, the NFL Trust. And what that was, was each team transferred exclusive right to use its logos for commercial purposes. The trust then entered a licensing agreement with NFL properties, and it gave them the power to handle the licensing from there. So the trust um, was the thing that got everybody together, and then the NFL properties was the one that actually went out to advertisers and got them, you know, made the deals to use the... NFL's likeness. Oh, so they didn't have any of that set up before? Not before 1982, no. Oh, okay, we went back yeah, to yeah. 1982. Um, so when did the why did the Redskins not have a uh, copyright on their junk? Cuz it's yeah, racist. Yeah, that was the, I think it's back now though. I want to say it's because the government decided they weren't going to approve the Redskins trademark because they thought it was racist, but it really didn't affect much of anything at the time. It just meant that people could make like knockoff garbage logos and jerseys and stuff, but most people are going to buy the real deal anyway. I don't know, man. You know, that nice guy in the parking lot that's selling his shirts for like, you know, two for 20 bucks and, you know, he's got an ice check system where he's also selling beer for like two bucks. He just seems like an honest businessman, even though he's got like, you know, the the wrong player numbers he's and stuff on there dude. and, you know. Some misproportionately drawn people. So, um, 
the idea behind all of the license, the trust and the properties and all that was that teams would be more valuable together than if they went and tried to secure deals on their own. So basically it was the owners saw it as a way that like, Hey, we could all make money instead of the Steelers going out and getting like Coca-Cola commercials with mean Joe and doing whatever they wanted, where they were like the only ones benefiting it. It actually benefited the whole league because then more teams would be used in commercials and stuff. I was about to say, but they did do that. But then I realized that was probably before nine or before 82. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I feel like some teams now are probably looking back on it. that were able to maintain that like superpower status, you know, for like 30 years. But for the most part, it probably helped some teams that like nobody that had small. Yeah. Markets. At that time. I mean, you're going to have like, like two teams that yeah. are like, I hate this idea. And then the rest of them are going to be like, no, it's perfect. We all make money. I'm sure. Sh- yeah, I'm sure the – I'm trying to remember who was good. The Steelers, though. the Giants. The I'm Steelers, sure the Giants could handle Giants. themselves. The 49ers. 49ers? Yeah. Um, but I'm sure it really helped the Saints. Exactly. Um, so by, 19, uh, by 1993, the NFL was profiting off this NFL trust idea. Coca-Cola became the official drink of the NFL and signed a five-year contract worth $250 million. Visa also came in as an official sponsor on a five-year, $50 million deal. Can't steal home without it. Or was that Amex? <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, I think that was Amex. Amex it's also yeah. a different sport. Um, so Jerry waited in the background of these deals. He didn't really speak up about it much at the time, but then he got an idea. He decided the Cowboys didn't need the other teams. They were the most popular and global team in the NFL. It was time for them to prove that they were, in fact, America's team. Jerry reached sponsorship deals with American Express, Pepsi, and Nike. He signed these sponsors through the Texas Stadium Corporation and not directly through the team. Uh, While stadiums were not part of the trust, the loophole didn't work. At the next owner's meeting, Jones was... Uh, informed that he was going to be hit with a $300 million lawsuit from NFL properties. Damn. That's, that's a lot. But what a brilliant move. Like I see exactly what he's talking about. He's like, I ain't getting the Cowboys aren't sponsored by these people. You guys handle that. It's just my stadium. That's the most Jerry Jones thing to do. And actually like, I'm sure he had a whole team of lawyers saying like, yeah, you can get away with this. And, I don't know, you know, I don't know what you're going to say with this, but like he probably like knew enough to be like, "Hey, if I get sued, I think I could like drag this out enough to where they just give up on it or I could settle for less that, you know, to where it's still worth doing it and I can still keep it going." So, what happened was they said that Jones violated the Lanham Act, which I'm not really sure what that is, but with the rest of this it makes more sense. Breached his contract, a breach of the implied covenant of good faith unjust enrichment and uh, interference with contractual rights. So those are what they accuse him of. So that's some, uh, that's like some, some heavy stuff there, man. So basically in layman's terms, it was just like, Hey, you're getting sponsors outside of the deal we made. You can't do that. And he was like, well, so it's, so it's treason. then. So Jones and the Cowboys fired back with a motion to dismiss which was granted in part. He also filed a $750 million lawsuit against the league. 
That's pretty ballsy. Now, this is sound like the Jerry Jones I know mm-hmm. and hate. But this lawsuit accomplished exactly what Jones wanted it to. The NFL settled and backed off, allowing Jerry Jones to keep his stadium sponsors and put the Cowboys on the road to be one of the most valuable franchises in sports. Okay, so I always wondered how they did that, and I like that I literally basically said that's what he was going to do, and yep. they did it. Wow, I'm I'm I think I secretly knew that he did that though, but I didn't like my my conscious mind didn't know I knew so that. So let's take it a step. I mean, this is another interesting fact about that whole situation. Um when he did that, it also allowed every other stadium in the league to get stadium sponsors, and that's why you have things like FedEx Field or AT&T Stadium. That's why you lose all the like original naming on these stadiums and they get sponsorships on him is but because see, all of that Jones. all that all that makes sense though like you know the the because you have to pay for these facilities and that's the thing that pisses me off is that these owners get all these like sponsorships for their stadiums and then they demand the cities build them new ones when their other stadium gets slightly outdated you know as opposed to some teams that really had like super terrible stadiums but still like you know everything that's been like with st louis um with uh moving to uh or the, with the Rams moving back to LA which that one actually wasn't that bad but like i mean you know San Diego moving to LA that uh, was kind of like okay um you know i mean it's just it these teams are getting too demanding and they're not willing to take up any of the responsibility of of their own like at least i hate Jerry Jones with a like a fiery passion that burns deep within my heart but at least he paid for his own stuff you know, he built this ludicrous like display to well, for know, the most part, to himself. But he also he, he, the he, taxpayers also agreed to up their sales tax in the Arlington area like 05 percent and ended up paying three hundred and fifty million into AT and T. Yeah, Stadium, but he but still he paid, paid the majority most of it. He paid the majority of it. So um, Jerry also he didn't stop there at the stadium sponsorships though. He also used this as a jumping off point for the Cowboys to create their own licensed merchandise. Um, Today, this has helped the Cowboys become the leader in women's apparel in the NFL. Uh, He's done deals with things like Victoria's Secret's pink line, which is like their athletic wear. And that's become so popular that there's a standalone store in the Cowboys stadium for Victoria's Secret pink label Cowboys stuff. I did not know that. But, you know, in my opinion, all Cowboys gear is women's <laughs> gear. Am I you right? Got him. <laughs> so they're obviously the only team that has something like that. Like nobody else has gotten a Victoria's Secret put up in the in the show. Well, to me, to me, I, you know, if I was a Cowboys fan, I would only want to wear, you know, their logo on my underwear. I don't want people in the public in the back. to see it. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to represent. Yeah, you can put it on the, the the butt part so that you know. You every time you fart, you're just farting all over. I the like cowboys. it. Let's market that. Jerry will yeah. sue us, but still. Well, we'll just put a star. He doesn't own a star. Are you kidding? He doesn't own all he blue owns stars. Every star. Uh, <laughs> I don't. Not my gold star. I got in the first grade. So let's go back back to '95. Take our time machine back. Do 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 do. And that would season would be their third championship in four years. So bringing in Deion Sanders, that ended up paying off. Their defense improved, and they won another Super Bowl. 
They beat the Steelers. Man, who who would have thought having like multiple future Hall of Fame people on your team would help you win games? So yeah, true. So this would also be the last Cowboys Super Bowl. Um, that would mean it was the last Cowboys Super Bowl. What else is there to say? So what happened to the Cowboys from here? Let's talk about Jerry and the team's fall from grace throughout the late '90s and 2000s. And so, I'm I'm excited. Just for a this. disclaimer: Yay. we're not going to talk about every single season, but we are going to focus on the early 2000s, the forgotten years of Cowboys, the Cowboys franchise, and see exactly what went wrong in those years. Can we can we talk about the time that they had a 50 year old man be quarterback? I don't think he was actually 50. Oh, yeah, but, you know, Benny Testaverde. You know, I was at. I think I've told you this before, but I was at the 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 game where they played in Dallas when Vinny Testaverde played the Redskins back in like 2004 or 2005. And he ended up beating us on a Hail Mary. (laughs) I've never felt so dejected leaving a stadium. Like even that saints game we went to didn't feel as bad as that did. It was like that 50 year old man just threw like a 50 yard bomb to beat us at the last second of the game. Did you say it was, he had the test to, Verdes to do it? I don't know. I was trying to do a play on testicles. So at first, the Cowboys continued to win the NFC East, but they kept failing to make it to this back to the Super Bowl. The 97-98 season was the first major step back for a team in the Jerry Jones era. They finished 6-10, and and Switzer was so irritated that he told the media Jerry should fire his staff and he would step aside if he asked. <laughs> man you you know something's going really wrong when you say like hey you know just fire me dude I, I'm, I'm put a I'm bullet bad. in me i'm done it almost sounds like though he's just said like fire everybody else you know i i think i'm not necessarily the problem but <laughs> fire, like, everybody, fire everybody else and want to fire me, me too quit. then you know then maybe you know but you know get rid of those you get those rid of them knuckleheads and i'll quit so why not just yeah. fire everybody because i want to quit on my terms well you just told me to fire you I want to quit on my terms. Uh, so Switzer was a indirect. He was an indirect contrast to Jimmy Johnson. Uh, he had a very hands-off style of coaching, which I talked about earlier. While Jimmy was more inten- uh, direct and intense with the team, therefore Jimmy inspired a lot more. Like we're going to play for the Gipper type attitude, where Barry was just like, eh, "Get out there and do your job." Barry just <laughs> he just started um, to lose the locker room that year. And so, so like, was this the start of the, the was Barry the start of the puppet coach? Um, yeah, I would say so. I would argue that Barry was a good co- college coach, and I mean, he won a Super Bowl, which you can't take that away from him. But I think that was he was much more like Jerry can tell me what to do and I'll do it than Jimmy Johnson was. I think at this point, like you know, we've been talking about sponsorship. I think. Um, you know, Jerry should just get Jim Henson to make him like a full size puppet coach, and then that should just be oh, the coach. Oh, that would be so fantastic! I mean, that may be what Jason Garrett is, though. We don't know. Jason Garrett could be a puppet, a literal puppet. Like, there's a man wearing all they black with his yeah, hands up no, his no, ass, it, just it, running it, around and controlling. Yeah, him. no, there's like three guys probably in like green screen suits on the sidelines that we just can't see, you know, and they're controlling him. And um, you know, the real Jason Garrett, who is the former, you know, backup quarterback for them is like dead somewhere in a ditch and you know he replaced him with this doppelganger puppet it's true everybody look into it do your research think think about it just tighten up your tinfoil hats and think about just it think gosh, about it. it for a second 
So after Switzer left, because um, he left that season, which he said he was going to do, Jones... Actually, he said only if he was asked. So was he asked to leave, or did he... No, he, yeah, I don't know he if he was asked to leave, back. but he quit. So I, I'm not sure if he was asked, but he definitely quit. So maybe he was asked. Um, Jones made some very curious decisions with coaching hires, um, as we know, and let's talk about some of those. Uh, first... After Barry Switzer, he hired Chan Gailey. Who? Chan Gailey. He was. Uh, I don't remember this. He was their person. offensive coordinator. He had also been a college coach for a while. Um, so Chan Gailey is hardly the worst coach that we're going to talk about. In his first year, the Cowboys finished ten and six, but lost in the first round of the playoffs to Arizona. And is that when the is that when that trend mm-hmm. started? In the second year under Chan Gailey, the team made the wild card at 8-8, eight and eight, but lost to Minnesota 27-10. Jones said that the team wasn't on the same page, and it would take too long to fix it with Chan Gailey as the coach. So he fired Gailey after two seasons. After they made the playoffs two yep. years in a row? So, while this... Those are all decisions most normal owners would make. So, yeah, Not... no, it's bad. So while the same page excuse is what he said publicly, the main reason that Chan Gailey got fired was he, that he didn't win any playoff games in those two years. At that time, Jerry Jones had the expectation of, if we make it to the playoffs, we're going to make it deep in the playoffs. Well, man, he's really like, you know, he's really let off the gas hard by keeping Jason Garrett as long as he has. So, and I think this, that actually brings up a very good point because in recent years, Jones says that he wishes he had gave, get, he'd, he wishes he gave Chan Gailey some more time to be the coach. While 1998-99 weren't exactly failures, they weren't successful to what Jerry was expecting either. Uh, 1999 also was a big turning point for the team because that's the year that Michael Irvin got a neck injury in Philadelphia that ended his career. And I remember that like just clear as day because I, that's when I started hating the Eagles the most is you have – Michael Irvin laying on the ground, he's not moving and they have to bring the stretcher out and like time to the stretcher and bring the card out and all that. And the Eagles fans are laughing and clapping because he's laying there and can't move ever since then. I hate um, the Eagles. Yeah, no, I, if I saw that, I would hate the Eagles too. Cause that's, I, you know, there's teams I, I obviously hate but, and um, the two teams I probably hate the most are the Panthers and the, uh, the Falcons. But if, you know, Matt Ryan was, you know, laying there with the, like, not moving, I'd be like, I wouldn't be oh, cheering no. or anything. I'd be like, that's that crazy. sucks. Yeah, no, that's ridiculous. Like, if it's something that serious, like, if, if he twisted his ankle and fell to the ground, I'd laugh at his brawl. Yeah, but if ass, he's but, looking you know, like he might be paralyzed, like, how do you laugh at that? Yeah. But Eagles fans find a way because they're such good people. And I like making fun of the, the Redskins mostly just to get under your skin. But, like, when I saw what happened to Alex Smith, I was not cheering at all. That's terrible. Like, I, you know, I'd never wish that I don't on even anybody. Know I never wished that on person you have any to player. to cheer for that. Like, I wish the Eagles fans would just go and eat more horse manure. Yeah, or, you know. That's their um, people, though. They like to eat horse manure and laugh at people with broken necks. So, good for them. And throw batteries at Santa. True. Oh, my God. Santa, I, I'm sure everybody in Philadelphia still gets, you know, cold. We should retread the Philadelphia Eagles fan stories at some point because they're hilarious. 
that would be pretty great. I, you know, what's funny is I was really happy when when they won the Super Bowl just because I wanted to see how they cheered. But like, it got really old very yeah, fast. Yeah, that was the best part of that Super Bowl <laughs> was like listening to the police uh, blotter during that night and be like, "Yeah, we got people burning cars out here on West Main." Yeah, I that that whole thing was just hilarious, and I can't imagine any other fan base doing that. Um, but yeah, no, I um I. I really I didn't know about that Michael Irving thing, and I you know how much I don't like Michael Irving. But you wouldn't cheer for him to have a crack smoking either. ass. But no, no, maybe that's why he went to crack. Uh, it, was, it was before that. he cracked his neck. Oh, okay. So Jerry replaced Chan Gailey with Dave Campo for the 2000 season. I don't know who this man Campo is had been the team's defensive coordinator for many years. I think I got that mixed up. Chan Gailey was not with the Cowboys. When he got hired, but Dave Campo was with the Cowboys when he got hired. Wow. Uh, Would you say he was campoing out? he was campoing hard. (laughs) Deion Sanders was released before the season began. He would eventually, he would end up that year going to the Redskins. I remember that, and that was a terrible move, and I hated everything about it then, and I hate everything about it now. You didn't like Neon Neon? He was Neon? like 33 or 34 years old. He, the only thing he was doing at primetime was taking a nap and getting the early bird special. Well, now he, he claims, that dude like claims he could still go out there and school them young kids. I'm pretty sure he said that like last season, that he thinks he could still play. I think that's what he did the Leon Sandcastles commercial. Well, he actually played for the Ravens, too, after the Redskins, and he wasn't terrible then. So there was a part of him that could still play, but he wasn't worth the money that he got paid to go to the Redskins, is what I'm saying. I, that seems like, you know, just a Redskins That's a Vinny Serato I'm just deal. using this as a... Yeah, I'm I'm using this as my opportunity just to destroy all the NFC East teams. It was a very Vinny Serrato who was their general manager at the time, but that's a that we don't want to go into that because I'll just rant for an hour about Vinny Serrato. But you know, is he no, still there? No, he's there, long uh, gone. The because they make a lot of the he's same. He's the guy that now. signed Albert Hainsworth to a hundred million dollar contract. Oh, okay, that actually explains a yep. lot now because they've they've gotten slightly better. Okay, I uh, I take back yeah, that one. Vinny Serrato, not good. Yeah. Uh, one concern that the team had was that they needed a target for Aikman since Irvin had gotten hurt the previous year. To fix this, the Cowboys traded two first-round picks to the Seahawks for Joey Galloway. <laughs> In the first game of the season, Aikman would go down with a serious concussion, and Galloway would suffer a season-ending injury in the fourth quarter. Galloway <laughs> spent the next four years with the Cowboys, and he was always dinged up. He never had over a thousand receiving yards in the whole time, and they gave two first-round picks for a guy that's best year. It was like nine hundred and six yards. That's um, wow. If I was a Cowboys fan, I'd be excited that they only gave the one first-round pick for. I know. That, actually, that Amari Cooper is kind of a retread of the Joey Galloway thing, but it worked so far. And it, it, but it's yeah, it actually worked except for the fact they have a quarterback who doesn't throw the ball. Um, so Randall Cunningham and James McKnight filled in for those two for Aikman and um, and Joey Galloway. Two thousand was also the season that T.O. celebrated on the star. I don't know if you remember that, but T.O. had a huge game against the Cowboys that year, and every time he scored a touchdown, he ran that. out to the star and would spike the ball or place the bar up ball in the star. 
And like the second time oh. or the third time he did it, George Teague, the safety from the Cowboys, chased him down and knocked the living shit out of him. I do remember that actually. That was like I I wasn't that big into football at the time, but that was That was hilarious. I loved every second of that. That's what made me like TO. Like there's a still a small part of me that really likes TO all because he just like made fun of the Cowboys that one year. And and then he ended up joining Yeah, the and then that takes away from it, but still. So in the end the Cowboys finished with a record of 5 and 11 and had the 31st ranked run defense. That's, that's that's, that's not good. That's yeah. That won't. T- Wait, was there not? There a, oh yeah, there, the worst. Yeah, shit. Yeah, that was the worst. I forgot. <laughs> so 2001 was not much better. Aikman retired, and Quincy Carter was drafted as the backup to Tony Banks. They probably could have gotten a better quarterback had they not traded their first round pick for Joey Galloway. So that was a move in hindsight that looked bad. While Banks had a great preseason appearance in the, I think he played in two preseason games, he was quickly cut to give the reins to Quincy Carter. So Tony Banks, who was a veteran, he's not spectacular, but he was a veteran that had had a decent career with like the Ravens and a couple other teams, was uh, cut so they could start Quincy Carter. Um, That sounds like something that uh, the Browns did, but it actually worked for the Browns. So people were shocked that the Cowboys picked Quincy Carter in the second round because he had a very low draft rating with most of the scouts, and he was one of the most inconsistent college quarterbacks that's ever existed. Like, he just was up and down to the max. So uh, he was – and the fact that he was drafted in the second round was just absurd. Uh, So injuries led the Cowboys to having a carousel of quarterbacks that year. Are you ready to hear some of the names of their quarterbacks? Uh, yeah, what year was this Yeah, I'm excited. Anthony Wright. Don't know if you remember him. I don't. Clint Sterner. I don't remember Quincy him either. Carter, I, I don't and Ryan him. Leaf. Oh! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot Ryan Leaf was that old. Yep, he like disappeared forever and then somehow popped back up on the Cowboys for like two years as a backup. He probably like snuck into um, Jerry Jones's like house and stole his antipsychotic. Yeah, medicine. he was like, "Hey, Jerry, I'll and then Jerry Jones I'll play for free. Never if you bothered give me to get it filled." He's a yeah. good guy now, though. I always like to say that when we oh, talk no, bad about I, Ryan I, Leaf, I, we I, always have to put in the fact that he's a changed man. Oh. Oh, he is. I I um I saw him on something a while back, and like I, he, he definitely learned his lesson, but it took, took him, him a, a long, long time. time to do that. So yeah. they would end up going uh, finishing the season five and eleven. So two thousand five and eleven five and eleven seems to be a very recurring number for these these uh these cowboys. Yep. So let's go to two thousand two. Two thousand two was failed was highlighted with more failed draft picks and terrible quarterback play. The Cowboys drafted Oklahoma safety Roy Williams in the first round, who was a good player for the first couple of years of his career. But when he dropped off, he dropped off hard. Like, he just stopped covering people. Hey. Wait, is this the, the safety? The, the safety, Roy Williams. Oh, the safety. Yeah, but, you know, he, he did – he led to a lot of, like – he led to one major change. and He had a rule name yeah, that her, like, started because of him. Yeah, you know that's that's actually that's not a good rule to have because that meant he was too slow and he resorted to just grabbing people by the top of their pads. Uh, so yeah, anyway, he 
he turned if <laughs> like I said, if you look at his first couple of years, you're like, damn, he was a really good safety. But when you take it in the whole context of his career, he was like mediocre at best. I enjoyed watching him against the the Saints and him getting like burned. Uh, so Jerry, uh, that year Jerry signed Stanford quarterback Steve Hutchinson, who had been playing baseball, and uh, he signed him to a contract with a huge signing bonus. That sounds like a Jerry Jones. Quincy move. was benched in favor of Hutchinson early in the season, and he was terrible. So people think that Campo was pressured into the situation because of the money that they had paid Hutchinson, the signing bonus they had paid him. Ah, so he was the first puppet. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I think I think Barry was arguably the first puppet. But Chan Gailey probably wasn't much of a puppet because if he had been, I don't think Jerry would have fired him that quickly with the fact that they were winning. True. So um, the Cowboys started the season with a loss to the Texans, which was like one of the most embarrassing losses they ever had since it was Wait, an expansion team. Is that the yeah. first? Yeah, I was about to say, was that literally their first year when they had Derek got run over by yep, a car? I remember that game too, and it was hysterical. The Texans like acted like they won the Super Bowl when they beat them. I mean, I don't know when. I don't remember when that was in that season. First game of the season. Very real. first game of the season. Oh, okay. It, it went very downhill mm-hmm. for the Texans, so. That was like a highlight for the next five years for them. Yeah, no, it went very, um, very The downhill. only good part of the year for the Cowboys was that Emmett broke the rushing rec, Walter Payton's rushing record, uh, and the team would go on to finish 5-11 at 11 again. Dang, that's like three years yep, in a three row. three years in a row. How the hell do you finish with the same you, record you be bad. three years in a row, and it's terrible? I mean, you think there'd be some fluctuation, like be four and twelve, or hell, even you know, like three and thirteen, nope, or five and eleven, you know, six and ten. But yeah, nope, five and eleven. Two thousand three began the Bill Parcells era, and it started pretty well. Jones, the big tuna. Jones had become upset that the team was irrelevant and dull, and that was what the article said. He didn't say that. An article said that the dogs agree with me. They're clearly supporting what I have to say. I'm pretty sure he says something much yeah, I'm worse. Yeah, sure behind closed doors he got probably pretty annoyed. Or on a bus. On a bus. So they had no big names at the time because Emmett uh, left the that year, the year after that. Um, a boring coach and nothing that really screamed success. So that's why he landed the big tuna, like you said. Uh, the team went to 10-6 and six behind a new and improved Quincy Carter. They didn't have Emmett, but they had the best defense in the NFC. They would be knocked out of the playoffs in the first round by the Panthers. So, Uh-oh. Well, but the thing was, they had been 5-11 three years in a row, and then to get to 10-6, and six, like I don't know if you can expect to really win a... Uh, like win a championship that year, but at least you're seeing something that looks like success. Yeah, but me and you were talking about reasonable reasonable people. Um, The next two years dragged uh, down a little bit, Uh, but when Parcells found Tony Roma in 2006, the Cowboys began to return to this mix of relevancy, success, and mediocrity that we see today. Yeah, I think the Romo era was very much like successful mediocrity. Yeah, I think that's the only way to describe it. And I don't, I'm not going to go into detail season every season for that one because I mean 
most of the people listening to this probably know exactly kind of how that went. But they had a lot of, you know, like 12 and 4, 13 and 3, like a couple of those types of seasons, a lot of 10s and 6s, a couple of 9 and 7s. And then it seemed like the worst they ever did was like 6 and 10. So it was like right in the middle. I I really enjoyed how they would do really good and then they'd be like expected to win their playoff game and then lose. Yeah, so, I mean, that was the thing. They just seemed to always lose the big game. But they were still very successful, which is why Jason Garrett's still there today. Because, you know, I think Jerry learned with all these coaches he hired that if you've got one that's sort of kind of working, then keep it. And, in fact, he might have learned that too well, which is why uh, Jason Garrett's still there. I mean, you also need a guy who, like, won't stand up for himself so you can tell him to do stuff, which I feel like Jason Garrett seems like he's very good at. Oh, that, that, yeah, that helps too. If you can win and you'll do anything Jerry says, I think you can be there for like 30 years. Who was the coach before um, Jason? Bill. Yeah. Oh, really? He's been there that long? Huh. I didn't realize yeah, no, that. This ain't his first radio. He's been there for a long time. And he's basically, he is the Romo era other than like two seasons. Uh, for some reason, I had my timelines mixed up. Because I want to say he took over in like 2007 or 2008. Um, talk for a second while I figure this out. Um, well, I mean, I don't know. I, You know my feelings about the Cowboys and my feelings about Tony Romo. And um, I just – I love like statistically, like oh, you know, wait. we we talked I'm, about. I'm wrong. I forgot about week. a coach. You're right. It was Bill Parcells. Yeah, I was about and then to Wade say Phillips for three years, and then Jason Garrett took okay. over from Wade Phillips. I I knew there was a blank. Okay, my bad. I forgot about Wade Phillips because Wade Phillips is one of those guys who's been like a career coordinator, but like I knew he was a head coach. Dude, at he's some a point. great. If you could have him for one year, he's a great first-year coach. For whatever reason, he always starts out really hot out of the cannon and then just, like, loses credibility every week after that or every year after that. I mean, there's a there's a list of, like, really great coaches who are really good at what they do but are terrible at being head coaches. And, you know, and I put Charlie Hugh Weiss, Jackson. I put Wade Phillips, and I put, like, Rome, Romeo Cornell in there. Hugh, Hugh Jackson's not even good at what he's supposed he to be good, good at. He's a good offensive quarter, coordinator. He was the quarterback whisperer, dude. But when he was the, the, the head coach for a team, he, like, killed his quarterback, and then they, like, immediately got better as soon as they got rid of him. Well, that was an outlier. And then, and, and then he killed another team when he went to it. He literally killed the Red Rocket. Yeah, he broke his thumb. He's like, I yeah. want to see what Jeff Driscoll could do. Give me your thumb. <laughs> He's Misery like, style. I'm so excited about Jeff Driscoll, and I'm the only person ever to be excited about Jeff Driscoll. He'd be like, I, I imagine him doing like breaking his thumb and be like, Hughes crying now. Hughes crying now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not right. <laughs> All right, back to Jerry. <laughs> In 2008, he was fined 25000 for criticizing Ed Hockley. Do you remember that play? Hockley, Hockley! Chargers and Broncos game where Jay Cutler rolled out and uh, got hit from behind and fumbled it. And then they went and they called it an incomplete pass. So they went back and uh, reviewed it and then uh, 
said that it wasn't a complete pass, but like moved him up a couple of yards. It was really weird. I don't remember that one specifically, but Ed Hockley, um, he was under some scrutiny like for several games, you know, throughout multiple years. Um, I, the one I remember the most is the Giants one he had, um, like where it actually like affected well, the game. Well, this one actually affected the game but, too because they ended up scoring when it should have been up. That was in 2007. Was was that that, that long was, ago? Yeah, that was in 2008. But this one was between the Broncos and the. Uh, see, Packers. see, for that one, you're not upset when they, you know, they miss call a play. But you know, when when it's your team and you know they say something's a, you know, not a fumble when it was, you know, clearly a fumble. You know, you you get I'm upset. Get into this tonight, I won't do it. <laughs> um. So, Cowboys owner Jerry Jones wasn't surprised that Hockey Lee was involved in this bad call. That particular official gets a lot of criticism. He's a highly criticized official in the NFL, Jones said. Nothing can be done, he said. I understand that after that whistle blows, you can't speculate. Well, did everybody get the best shot at recovering the ball if some of them heard the whistle and some of them didn't? Which, can we talk about Wait, that what? last? Why, like, that's can we his talk argument. About how that last yeah, made no sense. I'm going to read it in regular voice now. Yeah, no, well, did that... everybody get the best shot at recovering the ball if some of them heard the whistle and some of them didn't? But that's not how fumbles work. Like the whistle doesn't blow when there's a fumble. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Like so, the play was the play blown dead, and then they didn't like honor that. I'm really confused on what happened now because I don't remember. I don't remember this play. I do remember Ed Hockley like having several major um, controversies, which I, you know, I think on the whole he's actually one of the better refs. But like when he messes up, he messes up really bad in a very like public setting. Like not not like a noon game that's only broadcast in a certain market, like like on primetime games. Okay, hold on. We're gonna do this and live live style. I'm gonna watch the play and describe it to you. Okay, this is not the play. This is this, I totally. I, I was about to say he say Darren Sproles is on speed. I totally thought that uh, this is the play. I said it says it is. Oh, here we go. Darren Sproles is on the Broncos. Oh, okay. My bad. My bad. Oh, they couldn't review it, so My that bad. changes it. If it was a really bad, so it was a it bad was call Jay initially, Cutler, you can't, Jay you can't Cutler review it. Out. He tried to throw the ball, but instead he just lost his grit and like fumbled it behind him. And the guy from the Chargers came up and picked it up, and uh, they would have won the game, but they blew it dead because they thought it was an incompletion, and at that time you couldn't review that play. Now you can review it. Yeah, that, I believe though. so. That so, would, I think that's the reason why you can review it. That's now. not it. That that's still yeah. No, that's still not as bad as you're making it sound. Because I don't know, there wasn't a way to fix it, and if they could have reviewed it, they probably would have fixed it at that point. But I mean, it was it was egregious. Like you have to see what what I'm talking about. It was obviously a fumble. His arm never moved forward. It just stayed a play like, like the, that. He was though holding up the Statue of Liberty torch, and the ball flew behind him. That was like ten years ago, though. Like they didn't have some of the stuff in place, and um, you know that was probably a line judge calling it. And are you, you know, are you really the doing main this? ref might really not even seen it. Hockey right now. 
No, I'm not. I'm just saying there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. But um, like if that were to happen, like if that were to happen last Sunday, I would be like asking for someone's head, which they are asking for the ref's head because they have these now they have these professional air quote refs. And we've had more issues in the last like two years than we had had before that. So, yeah, that's that story. Uh, the next, I mean, it's, I don't know. I just feel like there's a benefit of the doubt, but yeah. I no, mean, it um, was bad. It was a bad call. It, it's not, that's not a good sounding call. Uh, the next year, the AT&T stadium, which was called the T- Cowboys stadium at the time was opened at a cost of $1.15 billion. Jerry planned on it being, um, a sports Mecca with party decks, huge, the huge screen, uh, the players walking through a bar to get to their locker room. It was built to be the ultimate fan experience and uh, will be a major part of his legacy. No, I think, well, who knows? You don't know what happens what about, in the back rooms. What about dugouts? You know, when I pay a lot of money for seats um, in a stadium, I want to sit you know, below ground level when there's players and cameramen standing on the sideline in front of me. Wait, what? For the basketball? For Jerry Dome. For the Jerry Dome. Oh, the yeah, dugout, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. suites. Yeah. Where the, you're literally, like, you know, you know, where your head's, like, two feet above the ground, and you're basically staring at the ankles of, you know, caffeine-addicted, like, overworked, out-of-shape journalists, like, with their butt crack showing, taking pictures. Hey, maybe you're into that kind of thing. I mean, if I'm going to look at a butt crack, I want it to definitely be the gnarliest butt crack out there. Uh, during that season, of, during the season, off season of that year, uh, Jones was fined by the NFL for violating a gag order about the labor discussions. So that was that time that they were like, all right, no owner's going to talk to the media when we leave. And they're all walking out, and then Jerry just walks up to the media and is like, well, we're going to get this straightened out. It's going to be fine. These players are going to come to their senses. Was that um? What year was that? Uh, two thousand eight, or no, two thousand nine, because okay. it was the off season of the two thousand eight season. Um, in two thousand fourteen, Jerry found himself in a scandal involving photos of him with some random women. Ooh! The story about where the pictures came from is actually stranger than the pictures themselves. Isn't that like par for the course with you know? Jerry Jones. So a man named Frank Hoover was attempting to extort Jerry. For his reason, you'd have to look at his 20-page manifesto that makes it pretty clear that he... Oh, he wrote a manifesto? He he made a manifesto that said he was the son of God. Oh, okay. So um, this all sounds like sane people are involved in this. uh, So the rants were aimed at uh, Jerry, and they didn't really have a reason uh, not much of this guy's backstory is known, but he used to hang around uh, like a bunch of the Dallas Mavericks and the Stars, and he somehow he had an in with uh, with athletes. Wait, what? Um, but can we can we briefly go over this? Because I thought manifestos were really only something like serial killer did. So, what exactly is the definition of a manifesto? It's like a- 
to where they can like call those guys ranting and ravings a manifesto. Well, I mean, I think a manifesto is like just a basically a book of the ramblings of a madman. Is that the uh, Webster's Dictionary definition? No, the Webster's Dictionary is a public de- declaration of policy and aims, especially one issued before an election by a political uh, party or candidate. Okay, so it's basically so. just um, like a political ramblings that are of a madman. So it's nonsense. Yeah, well, yeah, it's nonsense aimed around politics. I just don't understand how a guy that seems... I don't know anything about this case other than the few things you said, but that guy sounds like he was unhinged. I don't know how he got all these connections. From what I could find, the people that knew him before this said that he was just pretty normal. He liked to chill with athletes in the area. He liked to be at parties, but he was a cool dude. And then one day he just woke up and was like, bam, I'm the son of God. Oh, I mean... I guess that's the alternative to waking up and feeling like P. Diddy. Like something came to him and he just knew um, that he was the son of God. So the... So Jesus or like a, like a second son? I think son? he thinks he's the second son. Okay, I was just confused, you know, if he thought he was Jesus or like Jesus' brother or like, you know, his half-brother. Um. So... I don't know how he'd fit into the whole Holy Trinity in that situation. Another thing that he did, just random little side thing about him, is uh, in his manifesto he talked about selling Apple TVs. In it he was like, you purchase it, he find a, found a way to par- purchase it for like 75 wholesale price. And then he had another note about how um, he would hack it and then start charging up to like $150, $200 for an Apple TV that was hacked. And that was how he was making his living. Yep. But Apple TVs used to cost a lot of money, and this was in 2009? Yeah, well, I think he bought, was buying them wholesale somehow. But Apple TVs are like, still cost like 200 bucks. I thought they were like, like, I think they're like I felt like they were, I don't know, they were like still like between like 120 and 150. And like certain versions were more, but yeah, I, um, anyway, he was turning a profit I feel like back then. I feel like in 2009, I just feel like in 2009, they were very expensive. Anyway, he was. Uh... Oh, here also, we go. That was here like nine years ago, and I'm having a really hard time with like I have no sense of time. So we've been talking about like ninety and like two thousand nine, and one feels like it was yesterday, and one feels like it was like you know. Yeah. Here's three the quote. Ago. Here's the quote from the thing for the manifesto. He said he also introduced me to an Apple TV that had been bought on eBay. The device has special software on it allowing for unlimited live on-demand and sports programming. The software version was titled Eden, and Apple is the one mentioned in the Bible in the Garden of Eden. I improved the software and the value of the $99 Apple TVs and went from 200 on the street to more than 750 per unit. For drug dealers, pimps, or anyone else, this was way more profitable and less risky. I couldn't build units fast enough, and as for the cash flow, the money began to disappear. I eventually resume, removed myself from the business, losing around 20k to being scammed by my partner, 24k. Wait, was his partner's yes, name yes, 24k? His 24K. Okay, I mean, was the guy a carrot, or was he made out of gold? I'm really confused. Wait, what were we talking about? We're talking about the guy that extorted Jerry Jones. Okay. 
So anyway, this this guy was a psychopath, Frank Hoover. At least he was like, you know, a psychopath that thought he was decent at business instead of like, you know, trying to murder people. Yep. So that's the story of the time Jerry was extorted with pictures of him definitely hanging out with women. So you can't deny the pictures, but you can accept the blackmail. I do. I actually do remember that, but that happened two thousand nine. Yeah. Damn! Like I have no sense of time at all. Like I thought that was like three years ago. So in two thousand seventeen and two thousand eighteen, Jerry made his stance on the flag kneeling very clear. He stated that players that did protest would not play for the Cowboys, and that their policy is toes on the line. But what if your toes on the line, and so is your nope, knee? Toes, all toes. Toes need to be on the line. Okay, but how does he feel about you know, you know, robbery and um, you know, doing drugs? Maher, and, you know, Maher beating toes women. Toes on the line. It's not that hard. Okay, so if if I were to like toes go home and like punch punch my wife in the face or toes girlfriend and um, say I was sorry, but I put my toes on the line, I'd be yeah. fine. What if I were to like rob a store multiple times, even though I'm like on a you know million dollar toes contract? on the line and you don't tell anybody? Okay, but what if like there's public record of me getting you know arrested multiple toes times? toes on the line and you become a damn angel? Okay, I mean I'm just I'm just really curious what you know where you draw the line. And, Put you your know, toes on it wherever I draw. You know, it. What am I allowed to do? You know, is it okay if I you know punch a woman and it involves me having this huge like Damn you it. know lawsuit against Jerry me Jones, that spans toes over online. a whole That's season it. Stop but it. texas judges you keep helping me out to like make it go away the most recent great jerry moment deals uh with a new book called big game the author interviewed jerry uh jerry for the book in his cowboys bus so uh the author walked into the bus and started talking to jerry and um ended up Jerry's like, you want a shot of Johnny Walker Blue? And the author was like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll take a shot of Johnny Walker Blue. And so um, Jerry turned around and got two of the plastic like party cups, like the solo cups with Dallas's logos on them, and filled them both up with Johnny Walker Blue. Now, when you say fill yeah. up, like usually for normal people i think they put a little bit i'm imagining this no the is way like he described full, it like, it was like ounces. the full like like 12 ounce cup he would just fill it up to the top uh that you would die or like you would throw up you would definitely not remember and how then, that night and finished then only time, from that one uh, cup. basically he said anytime his cup like if it got down just a little bit somebody would refill it yeah no i would i would die on that bus so, um <laughs> You know for a fact I would like I would I would I would die on that bus. So then anyway, yeah, Jerry started talking about his older days. The guy asked him, um, he asked him if he would trade his Hall of Fame jacket for one more Super Bowl ring, and Jerry said, "Why'd you ask me that? Why don't you ask me if I would trade um, a million or a billion dollars for another Super Bowl?" And the author said, well, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you about the jacket. Would you trade your Hall of Fame jacket for one more Super Bowl? And Jerry said, nah, I can't do that. <laughs> but he, he, he but he would give up like his entire wealth for Super yeah, Bowl. But he was off, that's he was what off I got the record. From that. 
or he thought he was off the record because this oh. is a common theme. Anytime he says something stupid, he turns around and goes, I was thought I was off the record. Like, he did it like three you know, times. I don't know how that, I don't know how that works. Like in an interview setting, if you like can say like, Hey, yeah, I'll talk to you, but I'm going to be off the record. And then they have to like expressly tell you, or if like, once you're on the record, you're on the record until you explicitly state like off the record. I don't really know how that works. I've never never been been interviewed interviewed in anything more than a bad TV, uh, uh, a local news story. Yeah, I've only been interviewed on local news in like a college newspaper. So yeah, I that was the helicopter incident, but we're not going there. Um, So anyway, after all this banter, somehow they got on to Jerry Jones' younger days. And uh, in that interview, he actually went on a rant about how at one point he was just shoe salesman and that he enjoyed it so much that he would actually uh, pleasure himself into into shoes. Holy uh, cannoli there, Batman. Um, I wouldn't, if I was doing that, I wouldn't tell that to you. (laughs) Well, the best part about this, uh, (laughs) I didn't include in here, but if you go and look that story up... He, the author says something to the effect of he I think he says something like, uh, "Oh, who hasn't done that?" or something very similar to that because he didn't know what to say. And so then in the story, he had to be. He was like, "Hey, look, I'm sorry I said this, but I didn't know what else to say. I was shocked." <laughs> I I think I think if I had that same situation happen, I might have reacted very similar and be like, "You know, we we yeah, all we've do all stuff. got our things, man." <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay, so, you know, that's a real sticky situation. So, anyway, he tied it to uh, the idea... If the if the shoe, if the shoe fits, it, don't wear it because it has semen in it. He tied it to the idea of, um, like, uh, always enjoy doing the job you're doing. Wait, so he told a story about masturbating in his shoes as saying, like, enjoy the job you're doing and you never work a day in your life like that's that's because you're not working it's because you're masturbating in the shoes when you should be working i i okay (laughs) that's why you don't drink a whole solo cup of liquor when you're doing an interview so uh, one of the issues people have uh oh sorry that was funny gross that's that is really gross. Like, there's some really gross stuff people do out there. But like, did they sell? He sold these <laughs> shoes, and people didn't know that. Like, I mean, I would think shoes. there would be stains I'm in there. It was definitely, but... like, he had to masturbate his own shoes, right? Like, well, maybe his shoes were too big; they didn't fit well. So he thought maybe that'd help him get an extra grip. You know, just a nice pair of loafers laying on the on the ground. How many how many beers for a nice pair of loafers laying on the ground? Um, I don't know. How many you know, solo cups full of Johnny I think Walker for that, Blue before a nice, <laughs> a nice shoe starts looking looking real sexy? Probably like half, <laughs> because if I win a whole cup, I would probably die, or like pass out and then throw. Jerry up Jerry would just pick you up and toss you on a shoe and be like, "Look what you did last night. See, it is normal." <laughs> yeah, but I'm not the crazy I'm not one. You are. That story. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm imagining him having some really weird shit he does in his, in his life. 
His like wife sits there while you like watching him make love <laughs> to his shoe or some shit like so, that. <laughs> look, getting back on track, he uh, what? <laughs> you can't throw out the story you threw out and expect me to be able to be anywhere near a track. I'm driving like a train on like the freeway right now. I I don't even know what a train track is. All right, anymore. go back in time and pretend like I didn't tell you that story so we could wrap it up. That's like the third time I've heard this story, and every time I hear it, like, I can't wrap my head around it's it. Ludicrous. You know, if, if the shoe fits, I'm not wearing those shoes, though. I might not wear shoes the rest of my life now. So, so anyway, we let's go back on track. So, um, yeah. I'm going to be a sock guy now, because nothing, no one's ever done anything bad to socks Maher. ever. Let it go, let it go, Jerry masturbated in a shoe. He ain't going to touch my socks. All right. So people don't really have an issue with that as much as they do the fact that as time went on, Jerry made himself the face of the Cowboys. And, I mean, it worked. He is literally the face of the Cowboys. When you say the Cowboys, you picture Jerry Jones. Actually, I picture Troy Aikman's forehead and um, Michael Irving smoking like a crack pipe. So the quality on the field hasn't really been there the last, like, 20 years but uh i also picture uh jason winton pulling rabbits out of people's heads and uh tony romo making yeah, awkward noises they're stupid <laughs> um continue. so anyway his the popularity of the team isn't like uh are the 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 quality isn't matching the popularity and his ego kind of pushes some fans away um and even though the early success didn't really stay around and hasn't been there for a while, he's still growing the business. So he paid $140 million for the team, and it's now worth $5 billion. Dang. That's a lot of... He could, make, he could buy a lot of shoes with that money. Lots of shoes. So anyway, it's... Nice shoes, too. In my opinion, it's... With that nice, soft... Like leather, you know, maybe some kangaroo leather or like a nice Corinthian leather. How do you think leather? he feels about eggs? Ooh, well, you know, I don't know. Those are expensive, but, you know, they're probably too warm for him. And they got all that fur, and fur just gets everywhere, and, you know, it, you know, I don't know. So, anyway, I think uh, – the thing I think is you can't really – you have to say that Jones is a, like a fantastic businessman in the end of the day, and he's good at promoting because you have to be great at promoting to make something that's that not successful look successful and stay popular. Um, but I think most Cowboy fans would agree that he – or at least I think they would think that he should probably get a real general manager. I agree. And I – but another thing we didn't really talk about as well, like that team did underperform for a while. Like they oversold their like how great they were because of the amount of like Hall of Fame players that they you know, and notable like people that they they had on those those teams and that's like really kind of like stretched them out. And the fact that like you turn on every freaking T V channel now on Sunday and there's at least one Cowboys on there. I mean you retire and you meet they had two guys immediately retire and and you know and get broadcasting job one that actually's done a pretty good job one that should not be anywhere near a TV or radio or podcast. So um, 
Yeah, and I also think that Jerry did a good job of, like, when people left, he got big names to come in that would draw attention. Like T.O., I mean, that was, like, the big one. Well, they had Dez, you know, a guy who beats his own mom. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's attention-grabbing. And they got, you know, Ezekiel the Ewok Elliot, and... uh... And that was a good draft they pick. They also you know, signed Greg Hardy. Like, they always had people that drew attention. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess he, he, yeah, no, he, I think he's just subscribing to the, like, all publicity is good publicity, even though he had, like, several convict, like, currently convicted, convicted villains on this team for a little villains. bit. Yeah. Um. So, anyway, I think you could also argue that Jimmy Johnson was definitely the bigger part of the talent when it came to scouting for draft picks and everything. Because they've never really been as successful as when Jimmy was there. So obviously Jimmy and Jerry combined are, were a great team at picking players, but without Jimmy, he was making bad choices. Well, on top of that, they were able to have good players and keep them like where they could afford them too. Like that's the I don't know if that's just a new problem though where you're like – if you want a team that has the, the that same level of talent, you have to pay a lot more for it. Yeah. Unless you're like the Rams and somehow figured out how to keep all these like ridiculous superstars well, on the, the same Cowboys team. Did too, though. I mean, sure the money wasn't as much, but they did uh they did always seem to somehow keep their team together. Usually the defense was the one that suffered with the older players, and they would just bring in new younger guys on defense a bunch. But the offense, somehow they kept it together, even if it wasn't all that red hot. I mean, if if you have, like, one of the best running backs in the, the league, because Emmitt Smith was probably one of them at the, that time, and you have a, you know, a decent quarterback and good receivers, then – you know, you can win games. Yes, I called Aikman a decent quarterback. Deal with it, people. His team made him look better than he was. So, anyway, that's the story of Jerry Jones up to this point. I hate it. I hate Jerry Jones. But you learned to love him for a minute. I, you know, I kind of hate that you set up that story the way you did because it made me like him for, like, you know, 30 minutes and now i just want to like i i want to like punch him in the face and just shove a bunch of shoes down his throat from his own closet though so you know he's getting a taste of his own medicine literally yeah he's probably did some did some things with those shoes (laughs) he just seems like you know such a great guy that totally has you know everything coming to him at some point well i think there's still that opportunity that one day he might actually win again. And then he's just going to get even more crazy and eventually just like float up into the sky and assume complete control. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no, I'm waiting. I don't know. I feel like he'll live to be like a hundred years old and just run that team so far into the ground that like you can't even see their helmets so, anymore. You're just talking about Al Davis, Al Davis next week. Yeah, I I think I think he's gonna be the next Al Davis. Ooh, Al Davis, you know, and he could leave us with his coconut headed. <laughs> All right, I'm out of here. Let's go. No, well, now I'm just picturing like you know the marvelous haircut on Mark Davis. 
that totally looks like that kid from that like what was that show that was on Nickelodeon the survival guide you know what I'm talking about Ned's survival uh, guide or something yeah. stupid and they had a coconut a kid named Coconut Head that had a slightly better version of Martin so, Davis's haircut that's cat. what it is but uh, yeah bull cut um, I'm done uh, I guess I'll shut up because we, we went on a lot longer than we thought we were going to go alright See y'all next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Seriously. Cowboys suck. Bye.